0: This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play. Uh, Well, as a hockey fan, I mean, they're exciting. They play a very up-tempo game. And everything, I don't want to say it's a track meet, but it has a little bit of that feel. And they're just, it's a pressure, pressure, pressure constant. Their D are always skating. And then they've got some pretty high-end talent up front. And it's just not McKinnon, Ranton and Landis Cadre's really come into his own, having a heck of a year. And so they're deep, they're fast. You know, I can't say Kale McCarr is not one of the best defensemen in the world. So they're the complete package.
1: They are the complete package, although they won't have Nathan McKinnon tonight, I do believe. And we'll talk about that. You know, it's interesting hearing John Cooper talk about the Avalanche, and rightfully so. He was going to be coaching a few of those guys during mm-hmm. uh, the Olympics, and uh, it is power lunch here on Lightning Power Play. I'm Greg Lenelli, along with Dave Michigan, Steve Ursic's our producer. One hour of hockey talk. We got a lot to get to, but partner, one of the things that hit me is when John Cooper, I think, was just kind of asked once the Olympics were officially canceled for the NHL players going over and playing. He had talked about just some of the preparation he had done, yeah, leading up to the selection process, and how I remember he said, you know, the first opening night, he sat in his office with Sidney Crosby talking about certain situations and how he was meeting with different players. And look, he was going to have a couple of those guys from the Avs. So not surprising. Obviously, those guys are tremendous talents. But some of the guys he was going to coach for Team Canada, we would have seen with Colorado. And he, he spoke very highly of a couple of those guys, particularly McCarr. And what he's been able to do on the back end. But certainly an appreciation for what they've been able to do. And I've, I've got to think for both teams, whether it plays out this way, partner, that they shouldn't have to find extra
0: motivation to get ready for this game tonight. No, even though McKinnon's not going to be able to play too bad. I mean, you want to see the best. For sure. For sure. When, when you're taking on any team and... If the Lightning aren't gonna be seeing Colorado after this, it's gonna be in the Stanley Cup Final. It would be in the Stanley Cup yeah. Final. We're a long way from, from that point, but you'd like to have seen McKinnon twice, right? If you're gonna be facing him in the Stanley Cup Final, I mean, that's that's taking out of the equation the entertainment value that we're gonna to have tonight, that one of the best players in the world is not available, which is too bad, although he's on the mend, and yes. it sounds like he might be available for the Avs as soon as this weekend so that's too bad but the lightning are going to be seeing Kadri, who's having a career year he's well on his way to a career year he's fourth in the league in scoring that's incredible i mean if i had asked you at the start of the year greg colorado at the all-star break is going to be leading the west who's going to be their leading scorer i'm not sure cadry would have been your pick or my pick or the pick of most people. I don't think he would, the the yeah, sure he would have been in the top four. I'm not sure he would have been in the top four. Now, Randon and Landis Skog are having really good years too. McKinnon is not having an eye popping offensive year. Part of that is that he's missed some time with injury even before this current one. But Kale McCarr has 18 goals this year. I mean, the only guy who is kind of approximated that goal total as a defenseman in this generation is brent burns who had he finished in the high 20s in goals one didn't year. mike Green
1: hit 30 one year
0: yeah so maybe i should include him but i was looking at i think green's offense came in the second half of the year because i saw a note in the avs yeah. game notes that McCarr and burns are the only two going back however many years beyond when green did it to have scored 18 goals in I mean, the it's first impressive. forty games, that's impressive. That's amazing. Sure. I yeah. mean, he like there's a Bobby Orr comparison in there. Yeah. yeah. Like that's how dynamic he has been offensively. And you're probably thinking, "Wow, it's power play." Not really. He doesn't have that many power play goals this year. I think it's two. I'm going to look that up as we as we continue talking. So you know, you've got Kadri, you got Rantanen, you got Landeskog, you've got McCarr. I mean, all of these guys are high high high-end players has four power play goals so 14 have come not in the power play yeah scored a couple in overtime which Victor Hedman has scored in overtime this year too so the top end defensemen do get a chance to score in overtime he is a tremendous talent tremendous talent
1: he is and you know, you mentioned Kadri, and, you know, the question I think always with him is, what are you going to do in the playoffs? Are you going to be around for the yeah. playoffs? That's the question, because he's actually yeah.
0: produced in the playoffs when yeah. he's been in the lineup. But both with Toronto and with Colorado, he's gotten yep. suspended.
1: He has. And, you know, Darcy Kemper, we talked about this before. You look at the numbers. He's been really good. And really his career numbers, Dave, has been they've been pretty impressive. I mean, in terms of the wins-loss. Uh, you know, the goals against and the save percentage, 2.48 career goals against, 9.17 save percentage. But hes I- I've always found him to be underrated. Uh, maybe it's because of the teams he's been on. Maybe it's just not getting an opportunity to start all the time in the league. But he's a bigger goaltender who has performed very well this year. And maybe mm-hmm. he is that missing piece for them when you start talking about what they need to do to get over the hump in the playoffs.
0: Well, look, they are one of the top scoring teams in the league. The Avalanche and Panthers are tied for first though again in the Avs game notes they they rounded the decimal, they didn't round the decimal. <laughs> they yeah. they went many decimal points <laughs> past the dot to say that they are slightly ahead in terms of average goals per game. But it's not like the Avs are stinking up the joint defensively. And so you wonder, I mean, are they kind of a run-and-gun team? Uh, John Cooper kind of said they play at a very fast pace. So how are they keeping the puck out? Is it that they're giving up chances, and Kemper, especially Kemper, but also Pavel François, who's 7-1, and one, 7 yeah. a good year as All the right. backup. Is it that the goaltenders are erasing mistakes that are happening maybe more frequently than you would like if you – Want to be a top defensive team, or are they actually defending well? And maybe they're defending well because they have a puck a lot. They have the puck a lot. I mean, Brian Engblom on the show yesterday was talking about, you know, he saw that stat, which again is not generated from the league, so he's probably getting it from one of those, I'll call them rogue websites. Right. But if it's not accurate, at least it's in the ballpark. Talking about how much time McKinnon, in particular, I think he mentioned McKinnon and Rantanen have the puck on their stick in the offensive zone. It's a lot per game, over a minute per game. So maybe part of it is the Avs have the puck so much that the other team can't generate chances. So they're doing it the way they have done it, I think. They're doing it by scoring a lot, by putting the opposition back on their heels, and I think we have to acknowledge there is a major home ice advantage for them playing in Denver. Now, there have been some avalanche teams through the years that have not been able to take advantage of playing in Denver. And what I mean by that is, you know, the altitude can be a problem for the opposition, less so for the Avs, because this is where they play half of their games. Maybe if they're on a long road trip and they come back, they have a little bit of an adjustment. Belmar talked about that because he spent two years here playing with Colorado. But when you were the visitor, you can get sunk in terms of getting winded if you're stuck out on the ice. And the Avs know that. And when you have a high-skill, high-octane team that can really put pressure on the opposition and you're playing in this building, you can bury the the other team. By bury them, I mean, like, they get winded. I've noticed the second period is the period of the long change. I don't have the home road breakdown, but the Avs are tied with St. Louis for the best goal differential in the second period, yeah. plus 22. I'm not surprised to see that, not only because they can score a lot, but the second period is the period where if you're going to get stuck out on the ice, that's not the period to have that happen because it's harder to get to your bench. So I wonder, they are a team, it's almost like a baseball team that that plays to its advantage on its field, whether it's a pitcher's park or a home run hitter's park or a, a fast track in the outfield, whatever. The Avs know that they can take advantage of the opposition – if they can pin them back and 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 extend their shifts, which is a key that John Cooper talked about, keeping the shifts short, see if the Lightning are able to do that tonight.
1: You know, you mentioned that, that that's a, a fascinating point because that truly is a home ice home field advantage. We've seen that with the Rockies in baseball. I think the Broncos in football. And I'm wondering, particularly partner, when you talk about Eastern Conference teams that have to travel and aren't used to that altitude change what their record is against Colorado on their home ice. Because I'm wondering if in the Western Conference, while it's still an advantage for Colorado defending their home ice, if those teams, can you be adjusted to that a bit better than a team in the East when you're basically seeing them maybe one time on the road, especially somebody who competes in the Central Division against Colorado? You know, I I wonder if there is a, a drastic difference too for teams traveling from the east to take on Colorado where you just don't see them
0: at all all year. Well now. that that's a an interesting question. But the Avs have been good about at home against everybody. I mean I'm looking at their record last year at home they were twenty two four and two.
1: Yeah and they were
0: only playing teams in their division. This year they are twenty two and two. And they started the year 1-2 and two at home. Mm-hmm. These two regulation losses at home came in their first three home games of the year. Yeah. So we know about their long home winning streak that just came to an end on February 1st. Arizona, of all teams, beat them. But, I mean, it was in a shootout. So since they started the year 1-2 and two on home ice, they've gone 19-0-2 in their last 21 home games that's impressive and that's against teams from the east from the west <laughs> from the, the pacific time zone from low altitude locations from high altitude locations i mean calgary is yeah. a high altitude location so it's not like they're only facing teams that you know are low sea level <laughs> type teams right right That have to come to the mile High city i just think they're a really good team and where they play helps them kind of consolidate that advantage. That's fair. Having said that, the Lightning have won the last two games they played in this building. With Nikita Kucherov scoring an overtime game winner in the early part of 2020, and the year before, a game that was early in the season, Kucherov scored the only goal in a 1-0 win here. Yes. Vasilevsky's only win... Against the Avs in his career was a shutout. As I just mentioned, he's 1-2-1 and one against Colorado.
1: And you had mentioned these teams played earlier in the air, and McCarr actually had, what, the game-deciding goal in the shootout.
0: Yeah. Correct? Yeah. So that was a 3-3 game. The Lightning fell behind three times. We talked about the Lightning scoring six attacker goals. That was one yes. of the games where they scored a sixth attacker goal. And, again, it wasn't like in the last minute. I and mean, it wasn't. Five minutes left, but point six the attacker goal came with two minutes and thirty five seconds left. So again, John Cooper wasn't afraid to pull the goalie early. That shootout went six rounds. Yes, I didn't really remember that. I'm looking at it now. The Lightning actually scored two goals. They got goals from Headman and Stampkos, but the Avs got goals from Rantanen in round two that tied the shootout at one. And then Stampco scored in one, two, three, the fourth round, and then Landeskog scored to extend the game. And then in the sixth round, Makar got the the shootout winner. So it was a really close game. I still maintain, though, I'm not sure either team had really found its game at that point. Yeah, The Avs were just one and three coming in, and the Lightning were two and two at that right. point. And then the ABS went home and lost that other home game that they would drop to Vegas. They were 2-4 and four at that point. And then they took off.
1: Yeah, I feel like we had Mike Chambers either on our show or on the, the network broadcast. And I, I remember he was uh, somewhat critical of the mm-hmm. team and kind of where they were. And I'm trying to effort to get him on tonight for the broadcast. I'd be curious to get thoughts on where the team is. You mentioned Kucherov.
0: Go ahead, partner. You had, you yeah, know, I was there. just saying, like, I remember that game. I was not overly impressed with how Colorado looked. I know they had leads, one nothing, 2-1, yeah. and 3-2. Like, they popped in a power play goal. They just they didn't have a lot of pressure. I mean, they did really well in the overtime. But before the overtime, they only had 22 shots for the whole game. Yeah. Shots at the end of regulation were 31-22 Lightning. I didn't even really think the Lightning were dominant in that game either i think both teams were trying to find their way that's what i remember about that game and i would expect a different sort of game tonight
1: and you know maybe kind of set the scene for where you are you're obviously at the the morning skate there and the lightning i think are going to be coming on after our show ends i was going to say you mentioned kucherov you know is that uh hopefully something we see him in the lineup tonight correct
0: I don't see why not. I mean, he's been practicing with the team. I would expect an optional today for the Lightning, which they've had two full practices. And I wonder about the altitude, too. Like, is that a conscious decision? (laughs) We're not going to go on the ice in the morning? Maybe with the high altitude. Yeah,
1: it's a good point. The science says that you should go
0: on the ice in the morning. But the Lightning, typically, if they have a full practice the day before, they have an optional if it's going to be a game day. They have an optional on the game day. And based on the fact they are doing Zoom from the road. Yes. For the press conferences, it sounds like it's it's going at eleven thirty local time here, which would mean that it's going to be an optional. We'll find out. The Avs have had a couple of full practices too, and they just have a couple of guys out on the ice right now. And I think one of them is McKinnon. I think they're,
1: they're I'm at the age now Sunday. Greg where I have
0: to put on my reading glasses to look at the computer. <laughs> so distance is a little bit of a problem also that, of course they're only wearing the the helmets that have the numbers on it I don't have my So
1: I'm
0: doing my best. Yeah, yeah I think it is McKinnon though and one other player. why don't who's you in shout red, down? no contact jersey Yeah I'm curious to see once we hit the bottom of the hour though if the abs are going to have a full or an optional.
1: I think I, I read where they're after, they're, they want him back hopefully on Sunday. Yeah. And I know uh, John Cooper talked about yesterday with Chernak, maybe looking at that game. We discussed this yesterday, Tuesday, against the Devils. And, you know, we'll kind of see how that all plays out. It'd be nice if the Lightning could, uh, you know, have Cooch back in the lineup tonight. And you would think the goaltenders get broken up as well. Maybe Vasily tonight, you would think. And I would Elliott expect. tomorrow against Arizona yes. um, just to get him a start in this month of February, where there aren't a ton of games. We do have a a couple of questions starting to trickle in about this game. We'll get to that in a bit at Bolts Radio. I'm going to give you this quote uh, that I'm seeing on Twitter from a very famous former Lightning star, and we can discuss it. Quote, I'm not coming here to be a substitute teacher. I have every intention of being here a long time, but I'll have to prove myself again and earn it, end quote. And that comes from Marty St. Louis. Partner, I don't know about you, I was um, on Twitter, I don't know when this was, you could probably see my timeline when I retweeted out Kevin Weeks's report that he was hearing uh, Marty St. Louis was going to be named the interim head coach for the Montreal Canadiens. He's having a press conference right now, by the way, as we speak. Mm-hmm. And I have to be honest here, I, I had to do more than a double take. That caught me off guard. And then there was a, a tweet, and it might have been a rumor, maybe it's confirmed at this point, I don't know. I haven't seen anything that Vinny LeCavier was also going to join uh, the staff in some capacity in Montreal. But for sure, obviously, Marty being the head coach. And I don't know about you. I, I felt like that came out of nowhere. And maybe it speaks to where Montreal is as an organization and how far they have fallen. They're willing to see how the rest of the season plays out to see if Marty can turn things around. But... Now, we know, obviously, a Hall of Fame player, uh, but no NHL coaching experience Mm -hmm. jumping right into Montreal. What are your thoughts on that?
0: So I think there are a couple reasons why it came out of the blue. First of all, he has no NHL head coaching experience. Second of all, up until this point, he had talked about wanting to stay involved with his sons and their hockey journey, and he coached the team's that his sons were on. Now, his two older ones have moved on. I think one is in college, and the other might be in the USHL. I'm not sure about that. I think that sounds right. Maybe the youngest of the three and isn't isn't way younger. (laughs) So he may have moved to the point that Marty isn't coaching him anymore. But I think Marty's wish was, at least in the short term, I'm going to be involved coaching my sons, but after that, I mean, I think it's it's not a surprise that he has wanted to be involved as a coach in the NHL. I think that he has that pedigree of understanding the game, thinking about the game, and he's been pretty outspoken about, like, how he watches the game. He thinks about the moves that coaches are making. He did work with John Tortorella on Columbus's power play in the year that Columbus beat the Lightning in the playoffs, but he didn't. He didn't stay there, and I think part of that were, were his, his, you know, family considerations. Family commitments, yeah. Right, right. So from the standpoint of no NHL head coaching experience, and I think a lot of us didn't realize that the time had come where he was ready <laughs> to, to make that move, but I guess he, he is, clearly, and I did know his two older boys are, are not at home anymore. Let's, let's put it that way, that, that they are playing elsewhere. So from that standpoint, I think it's a little surprising just because we weren't aware that he potentially put his hat in the ring. On the other hand, this is I will call it a low-risk move for the Canadians. I mean, I guess nothing is low risk. You know, you're entrusting your team to somebody with zero games of NHL head coaching experience for the second half of the season. But it is an interim tag, and they're going to reassess at the end of the year. So if it doesn't work out, they can decide to go in a different direction. And if it does work out, then they can negotiate a contract. Of course, they're also going to be paying Dominic Ducharme for the next two and a half years because he got a three-year extension after he took the Canadiens to the Stanley Cup final last year. So from that standpoint, like it's aside from the fact that you're entrusting your team to somebody you hope He steers the ship in the right way, but there's a little bit of an unknown there because he doesn't have a track record of being an NHL head coach. It is fairly low risk. And there is no question that Marty St. Louis knows the game and Marty St. Louis understands what it is like to be a player in the NHL. And I think Joe Smith did a pretty in depth article where he leaned on quotes from John Tortorella, who certainly knows a lot about being an NHL head coach, and Torres is fully convinced that Marty will excel. So it's not like they're taking just like a lottery ticket here and, and the odds are not very high that it's going to work out. I think that they are hopeful that it's going to work out and they're going to see. And and the other point I will mention is Jeff Gordon, who is now you know in Canadian's management, does have a relationship with Marty St. Louis because he came from the Rangers organization. And that's where Marty finished his career. So, you know, he knows Marty personally, knows what he's about. And while I'm guessing it was the GM's decision, ultimately, Ken Hughes made the hire, you know, Gordon, I'm certain, was involved. And and the fact that he knows Marty on a personal level from their time together in New York was not insignificant.
1: You just wonder. But that's Marty. Like, the quote that you read
0: is Marty. Like, he's not going there thinking, well, I hope I do well in the last half of the season, so, you know, maybe I can stick around here. He's like, it's my intention to be here for a long time. And that's his attitude, and I think that attitude will, will help the Canadians.
1: I, you know, I find this fascinating. I think anytime time an organization makes a coaching change like this, particularly one coming off of a Stanley Cup run, I always ask myself, what changed? And is it something the head coach could have handled differently? And I never thought Montreal was a legitimate Stanley Cup contending team, even though they made it last year. You, you know my stance on that. In a normal year, I, that team doesn't get in. I think they had serious flaws. They played well at the right time. And then I think you give credit to the coach for getting them playing well at the right time. But also, too, we understand they had Carey Price. Uh, Shea Weber out. Uh, Jeff Petrie's underperformed. Jonathan Druin has been up and down. Their younger players have been sent to the minors back and forth as well. And, oh, did I mention Carey Price, you know, yeah. hasn't been in nets. And so I- I'm wondering, partner.
0: That's a tough hand
1: for and, any head coach. Well, it is. and you but, but then you re-sign him. You sign him to a contract extension. So something had to change within the confines of how the team was playing, maybe effort-wise that led them to this change and also signaling maybe they felt like it just wasn't salvageable anymore. Which is hard to understand because, again, you have to factor in Montreal had a lot of deficiencies even with the cup run last year. And the players that did get them to the cup, mainly Carey Price, isn't in your lineup. So how much of that is on the coach, particularly when you know, you you got to count every dollar and make a count in today's economy, that you let go of a head coach who got you to the Stanley Cup final, and then you hire a guy who doesn't have any coaching experience. Now, Marty may end up being great, and I agree with you. I think in some ways, is this one of those things where Montreal was like, you know what? Things are going pretty poorly right now. Uh, Let's see if Marty has something here. If not, no big deal. We, we can move on at the end of the year. But if, if we have something here, we'll look like geniuses and maybe we can all build our team together with this new and upcoming coach who's a Hall of Famer from here and we can start to get back to respectability. But partner, I, I just find myself scratching my head and, and does it maybe reaffirm some of the thoughts we had that Montreal was a flawed team to begin with, even with the cup run last year and that maybe they saw some cracks in the armor already and it was just too much to overcome this year and changes were going to have to be made?
0: So I think the question the Canadians have to answer is not, will Marty St. Louis, as the head coach, help this team get back into the playoff picture or go on like a 750 winning percentage in the second half of the year? I think those are... Those are unrealistic expectations, and the questions that are going to get asked or that they're looking to get answered are different. So when the Canadians play the Lightning right after Christmas, remember that game where Corey Perry, he scored two sixth attack goals against Montreal, but the one at Amelie Arena that Perry scored and the Lightning got the game tied and then Palat scored the overtime winner. I think we talked about it the day after, and we were kind of surprised that a lot of the media in Canada, they were talking about, like, what an amazing performance from the Canadians. <laughs> we're like, what? They lost the game. They gave him a sixth attacker goal. Like, how is how is this being framed as somehow a win for the Canadians? And I think it tells you where their team had been and has been since that game. Which is to say, playing hard and being competitive, that was the exception rather than the rule. And when you start seeing that and you're in management, and keep in mind the management that fired Dominic Ducharme was not the same management that gave him the extension. Correct, that's a good point. If you're seeing that, then that's something that cannot continue. That's a non-starter. So I think the questions that are gonna be asked and hopefully answered to management's liking with Marty behind the bench, how hard is this team competing? What kind of jump do they have? Are the young players gonna find, this is something we hear Brian Engblom talk about a lot, but are the Caulfields and the Suzukis and the Romanovs, and those are three of their their younger players that they feel they're gonna build this thing around, Do they have joy in their game? Are they playing with a jump in their step? Are they getting rewarded, even if they're not necessarily winning? What does the team look like down the stretch? Understanding that this is not going to be a year that we're going to make the playoffs and and make a run for the cup like we did last year. And I think Gordon and Hughes understand that they're going to have to do some kind of a makeover with the roster. And maybe there are some guys they can move at the deadline to acquire, you know, picks and prospects and start that process. But part of the process is getting a guy behind the bench that is going to have this team play hard from beginning to end, no matter what. And I don't know. I think Marty St. Louis is going to demand that. Pretty no-nonsense guy. Not afraid to call out his teammates when he played. Yeah. Yeah. Not afraid to go to the coach if he had an issue. He had a fearlessness not only to his game but also to his attitude. And I think that's what the Canadians are, are looking for. That's a guess on my part. But like the points you bring up are really fair and accurate. That there was maybe a soft underbelly to their team last year. And that soft underbelly got exposed when they lost a bunch of guys to injuries and yeah. you know dano is not there anymore i mean they point there. guys yeah. left right this is not the same team that went to the stanley cup final last year and of the guys that are left you know a number of them are hurt or young trying to figure out how to succeed at the nhl level and they just didn't have a lot beneath kind of their leaders that that helped them get to the stanley cup final last year but that can happen to teams. It doesn't mean that you can't play hard. And I go back to that game right after Christmas at Emily. and I think what was notable to the people that cover the Canadians on a regular basis was, boy, the team really played hard. Yeah, That's they true. played hard. Yeah, they did. They were facing the team that took away their Stanley Cup last year. I'm not surprised by that. But then they go to their next game, and it's flat again. Yeah, it's a That's, it's I think, what point. they were seeing, yeah. which is why – Ducharme wasn't going to stay on as head coach
1: and I think I think it's easier to make a move like this now when you know you're where you are in the standings and as you said before and I'll I'll reiterate it it almost feels like you're playing a little bit with house money because if it pans out great it's a tremendous move right if it doesn't okay it's it's for a couple of months.
0: Coach's salary doesn't go against the cap, too. So, I mean, Dominic Ducharme is going to get paid here for the next little bit. Yeah. But other than the fact the Canadians are cutting him a check, I mean, they've been able to move on and and bring in a new head coach. Having said that, I don't think that they wanted to pay two former head coaches at the same time. So, they're giving Marty an interim tag, and they're going to reassess at the end of the year, which that's that's a smart play. That's a smart way to go. And for Marty, he's like, I'm going to show them that they need to re-sign me based on what I do here in the next few months. You
1: don't bet against guys like Marty St. Louis because to come where he came from and to become a Hall of Famer, I know that doesn't translate into a head coach and being successful there, but there's, there's an inner fire that burns with players like that, with a person like that, and you know he's going to bring a different voice to that locker room, which is probably something they all need. And we'll see if that plays out. Bob wants to know any truth to the rumor that Vinny has been named assistant GM in Montreal. So, partner, I had heard that. Yeah,
0: I hadn't heard any of that until you mentioned. You said assistant coach, though. No, no, not assistant coach. I
1: I, I was more just to join them in like an assistant role capacity. It could have been in the the management side. I I didn't see if it was going to be behind the bench. I did see uh, some people mentioning this. And when I say people, uh, people who cover... Uh, hockey, not just you know fans uh, throwing it out there. But until that's confirmed, folks, I w- I would yeah. wait you know another twenty four to forty eight hours before you you start to take that and and feel like it's gospel. But we'll see how that plays out. But certainly yeah. Montreal's got to do something, and that would be interesting. The two lighting players, former lighting players, right. would be there. They in wouldn't be
0: they wouldn't be cross pollinating a lot though. Correct. If any would be used in more of a management yes capacity, I mean they could, but. Yep. Marty's going to have enough to to do and to keep him busy here to try and get this ship turned around. And that's what he's getting paid to do
1: in the interim. We'll talk more about that. If you have reactions to Marty going to Montreal, you can. Uh, You want to talk about the game tonight, Tampa Bay, Colorado, two of the best teams in the league. A lot of firepower, as we know. Dave is in. We'll talk to uh, him a little bit more about the game tonight with you. We will have the pregame show starting at 8.30. The puck drops a little after 9 o'clock, and you can listen to it all right here on Lightning Power Play.
0: This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app.
1: This question comes from Dale. He wants to know, do you see any similarities between this Colorado team and... And the Lightning teams before the back-to-back cups, a lot of talent, not a ton of success in the playoffs. What do you make of the Abs this year? Well, look, it's it's a good question. Some of this is projection, partner, and it, it is Power mm-hmm. Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. I am Greg Lenell, along with Dave Michigan. He'll be calling the game tonight. Steve Erstnik is our producer. We're here weekdays, noon to one on Lightning Power Play. Are there similarities? I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess you could say. Both have always had elite talents. You had talked about that, Dave, in the first segment. I think the elite goaltending, even when the Lightning faltered in that series against Columbus and even the series in previous years, the Lightning still, I think, had proven commodities or high-end goaltending, whether that was with Ben Bishop and, of course, they went to a Stanley Cup final with him. Or Andre Vasilevsky, and and we saw what what they were able to do with him before they broke through and won back-to-back cups. I don't get that sense yet, Dave, that maybe they feel they have a bona fide superstar in net. I think that's to be determined. And as I said before, Darcy Kemper's numbers suggest that he is way an above-average goaltender. I think it's hard because Colorado just hasn't done it in the playoffs yet and ultimately mm. I think when you get to a certain point in the regular season as a franchise it doesn't matter a ton what you do then it's what you do in the postseason and I think the actually I think the Lightning had more success before their back-to-back cups in the playoffs than a team like Colorado has had with their core group of players intact
0: Yeah, and also the Lightning, by the time they started winning their back-to-back Cups, they had had a longer run of success as opposed to Colorado. Correct, correct. So if we go back over the last few years, I would say this run really started for the Avalanche in the 18-19 season, and that was the year in which... They lost to San Jose in the second round in somewhat controversial fashion in Game 7. There was an offside called right. on Landeskog that wiped out a, an avalanche goal, if I'm remembering that game right. So that was a near miss, a close call near miss. Now, would they have beaten St. Louis in the next round? San Jose didn't. We'll never know the answer to that. No, But they and- were, that was their first year. I don't know that we would go back before that. So we're talking about a sample size of 3 playoff runs. And in all 3 of those runs they they won a series. They just haven't won the second series. The next year was the year in the bubble and that was the one I think that the last two really sting for the Avs, but that was the year they lost to Dallas where they fell behind 3-1 in the series. They roared back, forced a game 7, had multiple leads in game 7, including a goal from Vladimir Nemestikov late third to go up by a goal, and then they gave up a goal like 11 seconds later. Goes to overtime, they lose in overtime. That was that was a, a really bitter pill to swallow, but are we going to say that they were badly outplayed by the Stars? That's a good I don't point. know if we would say that. And, and the other part, too, about that particular year, the Avs were absolutely decimated by injury. They lost so many key guys off their team, in that playoff year and remember you can only bring so many players to the bubble yeah so they were somewhat handicapped in that one based on circumstances and then you have last year and they lose to vegas and what happened in that series vegas was coming off an unexpectedly tough series in the previous round where minnesota took them to a seventh game and the Avs had had a cakewalk. I think they beat St. Louis four straight. So game one here in Denver, the Avs just obliterated Vegas. I mean, it was a blowout win, a lot of fights. Remember Ryan Reeves was involved for for Colorado. There was a an altercation with Graves. Remember that? Like, he didn't like how Graves hit one of the Vegas players, and Reeves went after Graves, and there was all that. And then the Avs just i don't want to say they imploded but they weren't able to to follow up that dominant win they lost game two or no i'm sorry they won game two they were up 2-0 in the series and then they lost four straight including game five here and so in the playoffs last year they only lost one home game but because vegas was able to to kind of flip the script and do really well in their home games winning games three four and six the avs were out now, does that mean there is something fundamentally wrong with their team? This is this question that I feel like we we have tried to answer. And look, we had Brian Engblom on, and Brian feels really strongly that there was something missing from the Lightning's formula that they needed to address after the sweep to Columbus. They did yes. address it, and, and it just so happens that they've won two cups since. So that makes that that feeling that argument, if you want to say it really compelling. I'm not disagreeing with that. I think the lightning were helped by getting grittier by adding some toughness, some sandpaper. There's no question while at the same time having a lot of speed and skill. But I go back to this point that I don't think that's the only way you can win a championship. And if it were the only way you can win a championship, you would see teams trying to build their roster. Every team would try and build a roster the exact same way. Right. So clearly the Avalanche feel, at least right now, I mean, if they keep losing in the playoffs, maybe they do have to go back to the drawing board, but they feel that the makeup of their team is one that can win them a Stanley Cup. And I just don't know enough about this team to say, yeah, they can, they can really play with speed and pace and skill and overwhelm you offensively but when the games get tight in the playoffs you know they're having a hard time finding a way to win until they actually do it I guess we can make that argument but I'm not sure if that's necessarily the case because each of these losses in the playoffs have been different with different circumstances different things that have gone into them and the team that beat them last year Vegas remember we talked to dave gosher before the game in vegas in december and he was going over the same kind of post-mortem with vegas because they hadn't won a stanley cup it's like well what's missing here well clearly if there was something missing it didn't hurt them in beating the avalanche last year so i'm not point. willing to go out yeah, and say the point. avs the Lightning had something fundamentally missing, which is why they couldn't win a Stanley Cup before 2020. And the Avs are a carbon copy of that, which is kind of what I feel. Was it Bob who asked that question?
1: Dale. Yeah, I mean, Dale. I Oh,
0: Dale. I'm sorry. Dale was, I mean, he was asking, but I think the implication there was something is missing with Colorado. And that's why they haven't been able to move forward farther in the playoffs. I'm not comfortable making that definitive statement. And do is, I think the Avs can win the Stanley Cup this year? Yes, I do. I do think they can win the Stanley Cup.
1: The other thing, too, is we have to keep in mind with the Lightning failures in the playoffs before they broke through. I mean, they were one game away from getting to the Stanley Cup final, and they lost to the eventual Stanley Cup champions. Yeah. I mean, so did they need something eventually to get them over the hump? I, I guess looking back on it now, the proof would be in the pudding with the way they addressed their roster and how maybe they tinkered with some things. So I think that, that would be correct in breaking it down because the proof would be in the pudding. I don't know enough about Colorado over the last four to five years to take a look at their roster and say, they're missing this, they addressed that. Right. Uh, you know, and I, I think it's fair to, to see how this all plays out. I think the other thing, too, experience does go a long way. And some of the failures maybe they've had in the playoffs... Will that harden them this year? Yeah, and will you can they be learn? A bit better?
0: You can learn from it and grow I think from that's it. Fair. That's the hope, anyway.
1: I think that's fair, and we'll kind of see how that plays out. Bob asks: Historically, the Lightning have had a tough game in Colorado with an extended break. Concerned tonight, Mike. Uh, with the extended break, are you concerned tonight might be a stinker? Limited practices and games equals lethargic start against a very good team. Both teams were off, but home team has the advantage? Question mark.
0: Well, I don't know if the home team has an advantage. We've seen games where the Lightning have been at home after a break and have not looked particularly sharp. Remember that game against the Canadians again after Christmas a couple of years ago where it was whatever, 17 to nothing in shots in the first period against Lightning. They ended up coming back and winning that game. I think the important part of that tweet was both teams have been off since February 1st. Now, limited practice time, I think both teams have really dug in in terms of their practice the last couple of days so both teams have been on fairly identical schedules not only in terms of how long they've been off but when they resume practice and how they've gone about practice in other words they've had a full practice on tuesday a full practice on wednesday today for the avs they're out on the ice right now it is an optional and i think the lightning are going to have an optional So I don't know that one team should have an advantage over the other. I do wonder if kind of game flow, if the teams might be a a tad out of sync at the start of this game. But if they are, I would not expect that it's going to last very long.
1: Could we see a choppy game early on especially? And I think that's fair. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Both teams maybe want to play fast. And sometimes that doesn't always catch up with the hands and you could have some turnovers but i wonder if if the teams play it a little more simple early on mm-hmm. and you know to kind of settle in but look that's easier said than done that's
0: and we could see a stinker i mean we don't know what we're going to get you know either team is certainly capable of laying an egg it can happen but i don't know if it's directly tied to the fact that both teams or he mentioned the lightning the lightning haven't had a game since february 1st it's
1: a good point We've got a couple of other questions starting to trickle in, and I want to get to those at Bolts Radio, but we mentioned some other news items that happened today in the NHL. We talked about Marty St. Louis. Uh, It looks like it has been confirmed that Tuka Rask, he's going to be retiring, Dave, after 15 seasons with the Bruins, played in four games this season, coming back from hip surgery down at the AHL. Very rarely does an athlete get a chance to go out on his terms, whether it's a trade or whether it's just an injury and you can't perform uh, the way you want to. I think there was some hope that the Bruins would like and would get Rask back at some point and that maybe he'd be playing at a level that would be comparable to some, other, some of the other better goaltenders in today's game. Um, Tuka Rask, I, I think, was a fantastic goaltender for a long, long time. And, you know, Boston had a, a pretty good run there with goaltenders consecutively, with Thomas and Rask leading the way. Uh, I think that's a severe blow to them, even though Rask hasn't played this year, partner, because I think the Bruins still view themselves as a playoff team. But I think they've got some questions now in Nets more so than even if Rask did come back and was returning from that hip surgery. There's going to be questions always when a a goaltender at his age has that type of surgery. But I think the Bruins probably would feel a lot more comfortable with Rask in that than what they have right now. And I'm curious to see what Boston does at the trade deadline, if they can, to address that position, if they feel they need to. But also it it speaks to, I think, how good Rask was for a long time and uh, that core group of Boston players that were able to to break through win a cup and and always be competitive always be one of the top three teams in that atlantic division for
0: the most part yeah and i mean we talked about the bruins yesterday i think very highly bruce cassidy i think he's an excellent coach the teams do play hard that he coaches and they defend if you can defend you're going to be in games whether you have a goalie like Tukarask, who's been considered one of the top goalies of his generation, or guys who have less of a proven track record. Bruins are allowing more goals this year, though, than we'll call it during Rask's tenure <laughs> over yeah. the last few years with Cassidy as head coach, and maybe that is on the goaltending.
1: Could be. It could be. But Time um, will tell. If that, they if still that is-
0: have a fairly comfortable cushion, though, yeah. to get in the playoffs, and then we'll see how they do. And then I mean, they did beat Washington in the playoffs last year.
1: Yeah, that's fair. It's a fair point. Look, we, we've often said this. Once you get in, as we know, anything's possible. And, and I think mm-hmm. with the guys they have leading the way, they get hot and they play well. They could give any team fits. It's it's going to come down to is what we talked about with Brian Engblom and the difference between the Lightning and so many of these teams is is what are you going to get in net? And I think, yeah, let's put it this way, bigger question marks
0: for the Bruins now than before. Well, and like Brian also talked about, and this is his point about the Lightning's mix, which is a good one. I'm not discounting what Brian said. All I was trying to get across in the earlier segment was, I don't think there's one surefire formula for how to build a team to win a Stanley Cup, and this is the way. We've seen that formula change over time as... Teams have seen the Stanley Cup champion be crowned playing maybe a slightly different sort of way. I mean, did every team try and build themselves like the LA Kings that won cups in 2012 and 2014? Not exactly. The Penguins that won back to back cups in 16 and 17 were not built exactly like the LA Kings who won the cups in 12 and 14. And I'm not sure the Capitals in winning in 2018 were exactly like the Penguins in 16 and in 17 having said that brian's point about how the lightning are constructed he feels the lightning because the way they are constructed they are able to handle a variety of different types of opponents and i'm not going to disagree with that so it may be that for certain teams and we'll use the bruins as an example the Bruins can do really well against a certain type of opponent, but against a different type of opponent, maybe one that is really effective at at containing their top line better than others, they're going to have to find a different sort of way to get four wins in a series. I think that's fair. And I think that that's also true for the Lightning in that, I mean, they they are capable of playing high-scoring teams. They are capable of playing grinded-out defensive teams. They are capable of playing and beating a variety of different sorts of teams. But it's possible that one type of team may give them more problems than than another. And I maintain that Florida series last year, that was a bear of a series for the Lightning. Yeah, no doubt. I know they won it in six. Was that more? I know they had a dominant win in the sixth game, and that was a game that was very clearly on the Lightning side. But the Panthers easily could have won that series, in my mind.
1: I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I kind of agree with you when it comes to the Panthers in that series. Was that a little more uncomfortable, you think, for you than the Islander series?
0: Well, the Islander series went to a seventh game. That's what I mean. But I I never
1: felt like the Lightning were in danger, and I know that sounds weird because you go seven games and anything can happen. Florida just it, it made you feel a little uneasy because of how they played. You know, and whether it was, you know, you felt like Vassy, even though he was giving up a few goals, he was making some unreal saves, but you, in my mind, I kept saying, all right, where would they be if he was not making these unbelievable yeah. saves? How many yeah. goals would they be giving <laughs> up? And with the Islanders, I never felt that pressure that they would overwhelm the Lightning to the point where the Lightning couldn't fight back. And would be out of the game, even though, again, that went seven. I understand that that was more of I just think the Islanders had to play that way. And I don't think there was any question, at least for me, who the better team was. I think it's fair to point out that, you know, while the Lightning might have had a slight edge against the Panthers, the way they played, at least for me, made me a little more uncomfortable with how they went about their business.
0: Well, Man. here's the thing about the Panthers in that series last year, and they've carried it over to this year in the regular season without question. When they skated the puck up the ice, you sense danger. Yes. Just about yes. every time. Yes. Maybe not every time, but more more frequently than with other opponents. And that, I think, was definitely noticeable in that playoff series last year. Now, on the other hand... The Panthers had way more gaps defensively than some teams the Lightning would see later in the playoffs, including, I would add, Montreal. I'm not sure the Lightning had as many chances in the Montreal series as they had in the Florida series. Yeah, that's a good point. But Florida's, you want to call it deficiencies, which I probably shouldn't use that word, but what they lacked in terms of like a tight, defensive, structured game, they more than made up for with their ability to be as dynamic as any team the Lightning have seen in the last two playoff years offensively. Yep, I would agree with that. Now that fan that tweeted in, Dale, <laughs> would say, well, defense wins championships. Okay, fair enough, and I do think... There has to be an acknowledgment from the, the Florida side that this year they need to be better defensively in the playoffs against whoever they see. But there's no stopping what they can do offensively if you are not really dialed in yes. defensively. And even with that, you're going to have to lean on your goaltender. The way the Panthers are currently constructed.
1: I agree. I agree. The...
0: the the dynamic nature of how they play and the depth with which they can attack you. Doesn't have to just be Barkov's line anymore. Their fourth line can no, instill fear in the opposition when they come skating talented, up the ice.
1: They're as talented as Tampa Bay up and down the lineup. And and we can quibble with star power and who's better there. I think the Lightning have more depth on the back end, and in net I think they have an advantage. Until, until they show me otherwise, even though... Bobrovsky has proven that before in the playoffs. I need to see it again, I think. But they, they're an elite team offensively. There's no question. Uh, yeah. Bust the Beak says, let me say there's no home team advantage more than Mile High City. I used to get winded there eating a ham sandwich. <laughs> That's <laughs> a it's fair tough, point. It's tough
0: to chew on some. <laughs> yes. Rough. I mean, was the ham tender? Did he I- have to really work his jaw muscles? <laughs> was
1: it thinly sliced? Busted. I will say,
0: Greg, I've been for two runs though. When we got in, one when we got in yesterday, and one this morning. You feel good. And I was just fine. Now I'm not exactly going at marathon, Olympic champion pace here. You're not going five minute mile. I'm not even going close to marathon distance. But I felt okay. Well, of course you're I'm shape, not. Though, I'm not playing hockey tonight.
1: No, that's okay. We've got a couple of questions. I think we're going to save these for tomorrow. Some people had some questions regarding the Lightning and players they um, might not be able to keep. Uh, why don't we save that for tomorrow? Basil, by the way, I, we need to sneak this one in because this is a, a family question, Mish. He goes, hi, since we're in the midst of the Winter Olympics, I'm wondering if Dave has family connections to Vladimir Mishkin who was the USSR goalie who replaced Tretiak in net against the USA in the Miracle on Ice game.
0: How yeah, about so, that? so my heritage is Russian, although I will say that the Michigan side of the family, when they came to the United States and it was a long time ago, I think they were in a part of Russia that is now known as Poland. <laughs> how much the map <laughs> got has you. changed gotcha. going back yeah. right. more than a century. But I don't think, so I think Michigan in Russia is not exactly like Smith or Jones, okay. But
1: how about that? There's Watch
0: probably that. more than a few. I, I I knew of the name. I will tell you, Greg, that you know when Michigan came in in that 1980 game, USA rallied and won. The two third period goals they scored were against him because Trezeguet had been pulled after the first period. Yeah, you know, that was. I mean, Cold War was. Maybe not at its height, but... It was there, right? You know, people he, knew he, it, yeah. like, Michigan? Right. Michigan plays for Russia? Isn't your last name, <laughs> Michigan? <laughs> Things are a little different now. What's going on, Dave? I know. <laughs> when I first... I love that. Uh, and this is when Vasy right. first came to the Lightning. One of the first conversations I had with him it wasn't even really much of a conversation because sure. he didn't speak much English at the time. But, you know, he acknowledged that... I, I think he's had some interactions with that Michigan... The one that played on the Russian Olympic team, I think he's still involved with with goaltenders in Russia. Interesting. I don't that'd think Vasy like if Vassi wasn't wasn't his pupil. Like he wasn't Vasi's coach. No, but no, they had crossed paths. That's a at pretty some cool.
1: Point. That'd be a nice conversation. Be an interesting. Yeah. But to answer in time, uh, Basil's
0: Basil. question, yeah, not yeah, that yeah. I know of, not, not that, that I know it.
1: of. Basil, we appreciate the um, the question though. Good stuff all the way around. All right, partner, that's gonna wrap it up for us tonight. I'm gonna talk to you. Uh, during the pregame at some point and then you got the game call and it should be a good one lightning Avs. talk to you in a hopefully
0: bit. so and we'll
1: we'll break it all down tomorrow yeah it'll be good we'll be back at it noon to 1 thanks to Steve Erstnik as always i am greg Linelli. thanks for listening we've got the pregame for you tonight starting at 8:30 on lightning power play